The following program deals with a controversial subject. The theories expressed are not the only possible interpretation. Viewers are invited to make a judgment based on all available information. This is your captain speaking. We are beginning our descent into madness. Open, open, your, 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 my, my, my. And we are back to another edition of West of the Rockies. I'm Frank. Thank you guys for sticking around. I know it's late, but we got a really fun show lined up for everyone tonight. Tonight, we're going to be talking about some uh, topics that are quite relevant to uh, what's happening in recent times. As many of you may know, the Pentagon released a report on UAPs, on identify aerial phenomena. One article I was reading called this an unprecedented act of transparency from the Pentagon. In this report, they reviewed 144 sightings made by military aviators between 2004 and 2021. And of those 144 sightings, they could only determine the explanation for one. My guest tonight is Professor David Luxton. And he's taken a lot of this information like UFOs and mind control and misinformation, disinformation, and written this novel. What I found really fascinating is that as part of his research for this novel, The Goldilocks Zone, he got the opportunity to uh, talk to retired Navy Commander David Fravor. And if that name sounds familiar, he is the one that uh, witnessed the, what we know now as the uh, Tic Tac UFO and got a chance to uh, ask him a few questions. And he took all of this information and used it to write this novel that sounds incredibly fascinating. We'll be talking about that, about his meeting with Commander Fravor and this Pentagon report. I'm going to read a little bit of his bio. David D. Luxton, PhD, is an American author, clinical psychologist, and musical artist. A former military psychologist and research scientist, he has authored more than 100 academic publications in the fields of artificial intelligence, ethics, and psychological health. He is associate professor in psychiatry and behavioral sciences at the University of Washington in Seattle, a U.S. Air Force veteran and founder of the Wayfair Records music label. He resides in the Pacific Northwest. So, without further ado, it's my pleasure to welcome Professor David Luxton to West of the Rockies. David. Thank you so much for being on the show tonight. I really appreciate it. It's a real treat to get a, a chance to uh, talk to someone like you with your background about a subject that is quite the hot topic right now in, in a lot of circles, especially in the, in the circles of ufology or UAPs as they're called now. Thanks, Frank. It's a pleasure to talk to you about this. Let me ask you really quick about your novel called The Goldilocks Zone. One of the main topics is UFOs. And... I was really surprised that when we were exchanging emails that as part of your research, you got a chance to talk to uh, Commander Fravor. 
tell me a little bit about how that came about and uh, what did you guys talk about? Yeah, so I had the opportunity to meet Commander Fravor in 2019 down in McMinnville, Oregon, uh, where he was uh, speaking at a conference, a UFO conference down there. And I had a VIP pass. And so I had the opportunity to meet with him a couple times and basically do a couple interviews with him. And uh, just so that everyone knows, if they don't know who Commander Fravor is, he is a retired U.S. Navy aviator. And he was the commander of the Black Aces, and they are uh, F-18 uh, squadron. Uh, and they were assigned at the time to the USS Nimitz uh, Carrier Group back in uh, 2004. And they were doing training missions off the coast of San Diego. And uh, while they were out there, they got a call saying that uh, from another ship called the USS Princeton, which is a, a cruiser, which is loaded with communications equipment. And they were told that there had been some objects that had been observed. And these objects appeared to be coming from high in the atmosphere from like 80,000 feet and coming down rapidly down towards the surface of the ocean. So they were dispatched um, to fly over there to see what was going on. And Commander Fraver, so these are two-seater F-18 fighter aircraft. And so he had a wing person, I believe that was Lieutenant, Commander uh, Dietrich, Alex Dietrich, and she and her backseater also were witnesses. And so what happens is typically with it, with fighters, you know, they're one's the wing person. So they're protecting the other person while the other person's doing something and kind of walking their wing, right? And so Fravor says, okay, I see this object down the surface. They got a visual of it. And it was a white object that he described as the Tic Tac. It looked oval shaped like a Tic Tac. He says it was about the size of a an F-18, maybe a little bit bigger. And what he did was is he was right on the surface of the water. And so he dove down to take a closer look at it. And so obviously when you're, when you're uh, decreasing altitude, you know, you have to kind of fly down. And he does this kind of curve as he's coming down. And then he sees the object down there. And then what he does is he cuts across the curve, you know, the circle, so he can dive faster and get closer. And as he does that, that object basically takes off from the surface and starts to kind of mirror his position as if it's kind of getting away from him. And as he comes around, that object takes off, just flies, just basically disappears. And now they had visual of this. I had heard him say that there was potentially video of it, or they didn't have the video on. So unfortunately, no video of the, the visual that he saw. However, after this, they sent out uh, another um, couple F-18s they did get confirmation of the object as well. They tracked it and they got it on some sensors. And that is the video that you actually see that has been all over the media it is the video from this other F-18 with a sensing device that's observing this object. And you see it kind of there. It is kind of oval shaped and then it just sort of zooms off. And Fravor said that it was right on the, the surface of the water and you could see kind of whitewash, which got me thinking, well, you know, is it a rotary aircraft, like a helicopter on the surface? Is it a submarine that has surfaced? He said that the object, the Tic Tac UFO, was moving very rapidly. He describes it as like a, like a ping pong ball. And it was kind of bouncing around almost in like, a, I guess, a random movement, which really didn't make any sense. And he says that when he got back to the, the carrier, uh, he did tell people about it. And they, you know, as they would in the military, ridicule you uh, for uh, re reporting seeing a, a UFO. And the other part of this story is that when they 
take video from the aircraft. There's basically recording devices inside. And they take those devices, the, the recordings, the tapes basically, inside the ship. And then they upload them into some kind of you know computer. And those tapes apparently are the things that somehow were taken off the ship and leaked to the press some years later. Very mysterious, that piece of it. And Fravor said that um, to his knowledge that there were, you know, admirals who were notified um, of the incident that had gone up the chain of command. And really after that, he didn't talk much about it. And he was still finishing out his career. And in 2017, that is when the report of this and the videos were released. And there's the famous New York Times article about this. And that's when the public first learned about it. And since then, there's been a couple other videos that the Navy has admitted that they are official Navy videos. One's called the Go Fast, and it's uh, an object that was moving pretty fast, um, which they tracked. And then there's another object that they've observed as well. And then more recently, in the last couple months here, there's another object that looks like a balloon type of object that was observed off of the USS Omaha, I believe. And then there's another video recently as well of these triangular-shaped lights in the sky filmed by sailors, U.S. Navy sailors, also released to the press. So it's quite fascinating, the first time in history that the U.S. Navy and the U.S. government has admitted that they don't know what these are. One of the things I wanted to ask you, you, you have a military background yourself. You were a military psychologist. I always find interesting because when you talk to people that have witnessed a UFO sighting, for a lot of them, it's pretty much a life-changing experience. You know, they, uh, they will remember that event for the rest of their lives. And like I said, they'll say that their perspective, their outlook in life changes. As a military psychologist, I'm interested to know, is that the same for military personnel? Or is it because of their training that perhaps they uh, process these events differently? Yeah, I think it depends on the individual. And Commander Fravor's um, situation, he is a top-gun graduate and instructor at Top Gun. Like he's, the he's the top of the top of Navy aviators, you know? And again, he was a squadron commander, so he has all kinds of responsibility. And he's not someone who is going to make up stories about UFOs. And when he sees something and when he says that I've never seen anything, and I asked him this myself personally, I asked him, have you ever seen anything like this before? He's like, no, never seen anything like this before. And he still doesn't have any idea what it is. And he, he thinks that it, it may be something from, you know, extraterrestrial, just completely unknown. And I asked him if he thought what he saw was something that was being launched from a submarine. And he said to me, he's like, I've seen submarines many times from above and it, it did not look like that at all. And then I got to thinking about, you know, was this potentially something like a, a um, dirigible, you know, a blimp? The U.S. Navy has had blimps. Um, in fact, they've had them up until uh, really this time period, I think from like the mid-2000s up until 2017. There was a dirigible called the MZ-3A, and it was the official Navy blimp, but it was operated by a contractor. And it's a bit larger than an F-18, but... When you think about the shape of a blimp, it's white, oval shaped like a Tic Tac. Could that be what it was? And he said, there's no way. This thing was moving around uh, like erratically. And it was definitely not a blimp. And I also started to think, well, is it some sort of drone that could be launched um, from a submarine or 
uh, something that could even be launched from, say, a satellite. And he again said, nothing, never seen anything like this, knows nothing of that. And I also asked him again, I'm a psychologist, so I'm thinking, well, what about the potential for a, an experiment that was going on that just because you're in the military, and even if you are a commander of a F-18 squadron, doesn't mean that there aren't other operations going on that you've not been told about. And I know this from my own experience serving in the military, that there can be things that are going on that you just don't know about because you haven't been told. You don't have the need to know. And he said, there's like, no way. I would have known. There's nothing he's ever seen that has moved around like this before. And the other pilot said the same thing. So highly credible witness, video evidence that's been released. The Navy has officially said they don't know what the heck these things are. Talking about this report that the uh, DOD released on uh, UAPs, and I think that's a fairly new term. Most of us are accustomed to UFOs. Uh, but these UAPs, this uh, unidentified aerial phenomena, it's really interesting because it seems that they reviewed 144 reports of these uh, unknown craft. We'll call them that for now. And they were not able to explain. 143 of them. You mentioned that could it possibly have been a, a balloon, and, and it seems they were able to identify one in this case. Again, in your book, one of the major themes is uh, sense-making in the age of misinformation. Should we question the timing of this report? I spent a lot of time thinking about that, and my novel, The Goldilocks Zone, is a novel, and I wanted to write it as such in a narrative format to tell a story rather than, do, than doing just a nonfiction science kind of book. Um, and the reason why I chose to do that is because, one, it's much more entertaining, but I can get these ideas in across, across in a way to the public through a story. And I think it may have actually more impact by doing it that way. And so, as you said, Frank, the, the purpose of the, the novel is to really address this issue of sense-making. And particularly now in history, with the use of um, social media and the media in general and all of the, frankly, the propaganda that's out there um, and all this kind of conspiracy stuff that's been going around and everyone can say everyone else is guilty for believing in conspiracies. So then you have to wonder like, well, who really knows the truth, right? Um, either everyone, half the people are right and half are wrong or it's vice versa. You know, so we're very challenged by this need to make sense of all the information that's around us. And I'll say that, you know, the human mind is wired to make sense of our world and experiences. We are wired to do so. And when those things get conflicted, um, one, it creates a lot of anxiety in people, but it also creates a need to fill that gap of understanding so that we, under we can make sense of the world around us. And sometimes I think that's why people gravitate towards conspiracies and why some people also shut things off. They, they don't want to be aware of these alternate possibilities. They want to be in a comfort zone. So they want to just know what they're comfortable with um, and they shut everything else off. They shut off other sources of information to live in basically a bubble that they feel less anxiety in, if that makes sense. As we were talking in our correspondence via email, it, it is interesting because I feel that for decades, the uh, UFO community had been waiting for some type of acknowledgement from the government that said, yeah, you know, there's some stuff out there that we can explain. I know other governments around the world have been a little bit more open of the fact that uh, there are unknown objects in their skies. 
But the U.S. has always maintained a, a very uh, secretive approach to this uh, situation. Why do you think this report came out and uh, not more was said? I mean, personally, I didn't see the uh, type of reaction I would expect from uh, uh, the U.S. government admitting to this much. Yeah, and to add to that, it's the general public. It doesn't seem to be too alarmed by it or paying a whole lot of attention to it. You and I are, of course, I'm assuming your audience is as well, but it's surprising to me that there isn't more focus on this right now. You, you see some reports in the news here and there. Um, certainly there's a lot of stuff on, on some social media stuff and podcasters and things, but the mainstream media, they did it for a little bit and then it kind of went quiet. Once in a while you see an article or something about it. But that is very surprising to me because if you read this report, as you said, Frank, out of 144 events or sightings, only one of them they debunked is just being a deflating balloon. So all of the rest of them are still unknown objects, that there is some kind of evidence. Um, in addition to testimony, there is some kind of physical evidence. Again, it's usually sensor data or video. Uh, to me, this is unprecedented. We never really had anything quite like this before. And as you said, certainly not here in the United States. In that same report, again, asking you with your military background, should the general public be concerned that we don't know what these things are? I mean, at one point in the report, it says that these UAPs clearly pose a, a risk to flight safety. Yes. And a couple of things to consider here is that there are basically two reports, at least two that they've acknowledged. So there's the unclassified one, which is the one that you and I have looked at, and this is available um, on the internet, you can get it on my my website, davidlux.com. I have it there as well. And the thing is, it's only like nine pages, eight or nine pages long. It's really short. So clearly they've left out a lot of things that I'm assuming is in the classified version that went to Congress. Now, the thing about this report is it was written by the Department of Defense and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. So just in that alone should tell you that the intent of this is about national intelligence. And if you read the, the headers of it, they do reference in consultation with DOD and a bunch of federal agencies ranging from NOAA to NASA to NSA and others and for some military branches. So it, this is not a science report. You know, it's not a, a report by a scientific agency. It's by intelligence. And what I find interesting here is that they basically concluded that there are five basic categories that describe these objects. One of them is airborne clutter. So this is stuff that gets kind of spun up in the air or even birds. You know, it could be um, uh, recreational drones, things like that. And I have certainly seen things get spun up in the air, like um, trash bag or something is blown up in the wind or like at those um, auto dealers where they have those balloons and that are, you know, advertising the sale of their used cars and that balloon gets loose and that's flying in the sky or, uh, a, a little girl is going to her birthday party and she lets go of the Myler balloons, you know. Those things are in the sky and people can mistake them for being a UFO. Uh, another category is natural atmospheric phenomena. This is, you know, weather stuff. It could be um, at higher altitude and you know, there's, there's ice crystals that can form and reflect light. Um, there can be thermal fluctuations that can bend light to create some very interesting uh, phenomena, both visually and also with radar systems as well. And then there's the possibility of U.S. government aircraft uh, technology, whether they're drones, um, other kind of experimental aircraft, which I, I'm hoping we can get into a little bit later because I know something about that. 
um, as one possibility. But it seems to me that this is a government report, U.S. government report. They would know if it was a U.S. government <laughs> aircraft or drone. Right. Now, it is possible, though, there's contractors, you know, maybe um, Google or, or Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or someone is testing something that um, was not reported to the FAA or something. <laughs> and that's what people were seeing. And along those lines, we do know that there's been some very mysterious drones flying over the uh, U.S. Midwest and, and Western states in Colorado in particular, like a whole bunch of drones. And it's my guess it might be Amazon or something testing out their drone technology. So it could be something like that. Uh, another possibility though is foreign adversaries. This is certainly requiring a lot of attention because what if these are technologies developed by Chinese to the Russians, uh, some kind of drone technology that is not U.S. And that would certainly pose a threat to our military and to our national security. But what's got me most interested here is they have a fifth category, and it's other. This could be some other kind of anomaly, or potentially, they don't quite say this, but actually they don't really say this, but extraterrestrial. Could this be life of some sort, interdimensional or from another planet that is coming to Earth or has already been in Earth? or at Earth, um, and is now being seen because we now have these more advanced tracking devices and F-18s out over the ocean. And I think that's where you really start getting into the, uh, um, call it the fun stuff, uh, where you can speculate how these objects can be flying over U.S. airspace without being detected and behaving in the way that they do. Now, are these topics that you're finding your colleagues are open to explore and research? You know, I'm a psychologist, licensed clinical psychologist, and there aren't a whole lot of clinical psychologists that I'm aware of who are kind of into this UFO stuff who at least speak about it publicly. And there's probably some reasons for that, but I've always been surprised why there isn't more psychologists involved. Like, whenever there are sightings, it's great when you have, you know, pilots talking about it or, you know, some you know, even an astronomer or something, but we need more psychologists involved because there's a lot of, phenomena that is just in your mind you know um you're fooled by perception and things like that you know they're studied in labs we know that people can be fooled to think that they see something when they don't or they're, they're seeing an object moving when it's really not called the autokinetic effect and uh, i'd love to see more psychologists involved and for me as i said in my email this is really a first for me to kind of step out of my very dry kind of academic world and and talk about this topic um, but I think it's time, you know, with this report and it's like, we've got to be paying attention to this. Absolutely. It's a very critical moment for the uh, UFO field. In a recent conversation, I mentioned that for all the people that had been really pushing for disclosure and acknowledgement of UFOs, it's important that we don't drop the ball if we want to see more information come out. We can't downplay it or ridicule it or be dismissive of it. Like I feel most people have been about this Pentagon report. Yeah, that's right. And again, I'm so surprised that there just isn't more calls for investigation. Why aren't there scientists up on a stage? I mean, yeah, you go to a UFO conference, there's people talking about it, but why aren't there like the heads of NASA, you know, like focused on that? You know what I mean? Right. That's right, right. very mysterious to me. No, it is. It is. Now, um, about your novel. What can you tell me about this uh, main character, Ben Davenport, and why did you choose to style the main character the way that you did? Yeah, so my protagonist is a 
a millennial investigative reporter, and he's very proud of himself being Pulitzer-nominated. And he works for an online magazine in Seattle. And he gets dispatched to cover a story about a UFO expert named Daniel Byrne in a place called the Valley of the Moon in Missoula, Montana. And he gets out there and he finds out also, too, that there's been a murder that's occurred on their property. And that uh, the person that's murdered is a local reporter. And he gets kind of caught up in that. And he meets the, the niece of the, the murdered woman. And she kind of drives Ben to start investigating, uh, not just doing his story for, you know, a quick story on this UFO person, but also on the murder. And it, it takes him down this rabbit hole of experience out there. And I chose to do it this one. I wrote it in first person as well, which is a lot of fun. But I wanted to make this character relatable to really anyone who would read it. But to me, this character is a, a very modern person. You know, he uses technology, social media. He has a Twitter followers, you know, and he's on YouTube all the time, those kinds of things. And he's kind of caught up in, in that modern technology. And what happens to him, I'm not going to give too much away, but he believes that it's probably a hoax but he's not so sure. He is a witness himself of the Phoenix flight from 1997 in Arizona. And to him, that's still unexplained, but he's fairly skeptical. And you know, the book starts off with him saying, you know, good investigative journalist has to have a good bullshit detector, right? And <laughs> he prides himself in being able to detect bullshit. He's part of my language. And so he comes up with a, a solution to what he thinks he has seen and he's very proud of himself. But then he has his own experience that's unexplained. And what that does is it triggers him into this conspiracy rabbit hole. And he's, he's lost for a while and then he's trying to find answers and he goes right back to Daniel for answers. And he goes down this rabbit hole and then he starts to, his beliefs about reality start to change. They evolve. And then over time, he starts looking at other evidence and uh, he meets other characters and other people, including a full-on true skeptic, someone who doesn't believe at all. And he starts to reevaluate once again and kind of comes this, around this circle. And I'm not going to tell you how it ends, but it ends by um, him really struggling to make sense of what's happened. And I do have this kind of theme about um, cellular towers, which, as you know, has been a huge thing in the, the conspiracy circles about 5G and all that. Right. And um, I find that part of this to be very interesting. And I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about that here in a little bit when we when we talk more about some some UFO sightings. Yeah, I, I wanted to uh, make a comment that I I really like the uh, cover of your novel. There is a, a triangular shaped craft there that either uh, I was going to say reminds me of the. Uh, triangular UFOs that people have reported or the uh, the Phoenix lights that uh, also uh, caused quite the stir when it happened. A lot of people have said that these triangular formations, th these lights and triangular formations, could be military. And a few minutes ago, uh, when we were going down the, the list of possibilities, you said that in the report, they mentioned that it could be classified technology developed by the U.S. And uh, you said you, you had something else to say about that. Can you tell me? So this is um, quite interesting. So there's, there oh, has always been aircraft that has been developed by the United States military in secret, right? I mean, the F-117 self-fighter, 
Um, do you know when that was developed? I couldn't tell you, no. 1970. And we didn't even, the public didn't even know about it until 1989 during the, the attack in, in Panama, the military operation in Panama. I believe it was the first time. And then it played a major role, of course, in Desert Storm. Right. But I don't think the public knew about it prior to that. So it's been, it was held secret for a very long time. And if you had seen the stealth fighter for the first time, I think it was from another planet. This thing is just, you know, it looks like nothing like any conventional aircraft we know. So to me, that proves the point that the U.S. government could certainly develop things in secret for a while, and eventually it's going to come out. And there's been some ideas about a couple aircraft. Um, one is called the TR-3B, which I do talk about in the novel. And that is a triangular aircraft that, um, again, in those kind of conspiracy circles, like is that uh, a U.S. or a man-made or human-made aircraft that is being used to participate and potentially abductions even, which is what they call MyLabs or military abductions. Mm-hmm. Uh, another aircraft is called the Aurora. I think I first learned about this in the 1990s. But it's basically like a um, second generation of an SR-71. And so it's an aircraft that flies um, hypersonic, high altitude. And it uses a, a special propulsion system so that it can go super fast. And... Perhaps it does exist, and you know, if, if it came out tomorrow that it does exist, and that that might be what people are seeing, either TR-3Bs or Auroras, I wouldn't be surprised. I really wouldn't. However, my hypothesis is more about drone technology, because if you look at the characteristics of these objects that they're showing on these videos or sensor data, and from um, observation of these pilots, they're talking about craft that seem to be defying normal flight characteristics. They can change direction incredibly rapidly. They're also transmedia, meaning that they seem to be able to fly in air, but also fly in water as well. And they don't have things like exhaust plumes, and they don't necessarily have the signatures of conventional aircraft, like the heat signatures per se. So that gets me thinking about drone technology. A human, to pilot a craft that is moving that rapidly and changing direction like that, you couldn't do it because of the G-forces. However, a drone certainly could do that. So perhaps it's drone technology with some advanced propulsion that's allowing these craft to do these kinds of things. Even then, some will argue that's pretty far-stretched too um, because what they're seeing seems to even defy what we think a more conventional drone technology would be able to do. Now, we've also seen some advances in hypersonic weapons and aircraft. As I mentioned, the Aurora Project has a possibility for a a hypersonic um, aircraft, but also in missile technology. Um, Could some of these objects that people have seen possibly be hypersonic weapons that they're testing or drones? I think it's not outside the realm of possibility. I find interesting as you talk about how these things behave and how they are able to uh, do maneuvers that with a pilot inside it it would be next to impossible. And it reminds me of uh, former President Barack Obama. In an interview, he was quite candid about basically that there's things up in the sky that we don't know about and they do things that we can't explain. I can't remember another time in history where a U.S. president has spoken like that or a former president for that matter. I have to go 
back to this uh, misinformation or as you even uh, mentioned in your book, false flags, which is another theme. Should we find the timing of all of this suspicious? I wonder about that as well. Part of the theme of the novel and where the novel goes is that, is that what really what this is about? Is it uh, another form of full manipulation of the public? And I don't have an answer to it. I can only hypothesize. Uh, I agree with you that the timing is kind of interesting um, with everything else that's going on in our world. And, and now this comes out and it's leaked. And there's definitely, I would call it a campaign of promotion of this with some TV shows and uh, people coming out and talking about it. Um, I definitely see that. And people who are into this often think that maybe those that come out and talk about this, they're intentionally leaking information or they're operatives themselves, right? They're being used to disseminate information about something. And certainly it's a hypothesis. I'm not saying that's the case. Uh, that is a topic in the novel, which I explore. You know, you also have to think about, as I said before, technology. Technology has gotten so much better with um, on aircraft to be able to film and using different types of sensors to film. Um, that's a possibility here too. But it is certainly mysterious that it has come out in the last couple of years. And again, it is mysterious to me that it's not more in the mainstream than it is. You personally identify as a skeptic of this phenomena being extraterrestrial. And I was reading a little bit about um, Mick West, who is uh, considered like the leading voice of skepticism. And he attributes these sightings that the DOD reported on as being miscalibrated instruments or various camera distortions. As you pointed out at the top of the interview, you know, a lot of these pilots, they're well trained to identify what they see. Is that a real possibility that what they're seeing are just like miscalculations and malfunctions of equipment? Yeah, very much so. In fact, the technology on the USS Princeton, and I'm also presuming on the more recent um, F-18 sensor data, were technologies that were relatively new. And so is it possible that they're getting you know, anomalies uh, because of the technology? And I, I did see one documentary about some of the sensor uh, equipment on the F-18 as it's observing an object that it might actually just be just what you said, that it's really just distorting the image in such a way that it looks like something else. Another thing I, I want to point out, and I think anyone who's, who's watched any of these videos is probably thinking the same thing, with the advanced, advances in the technology, why is the resolution of the video so poor? <laughs> <laughs> and others have asked that same question too. And I, I understand that there may have been better quality video of uh, some of these sightings, but for whatever reason, as it got leaked out on the internet, it degraded, which is suspect to me. Uh, I would think that maybe the quality would be better than it is. So that's another kind of mystery to this as well. I do want to mention one other hypothesis here, and this one I've been very interested in, and the DOD report alludes to this at least in one section just briefly. Could it be that what's going on here, at least in some of these, is that maybe it is a foreign adversary and they are launching something, whether it's a drone or perhaps it's some kind of um, image or hologram of some sort, which we know that technology does exist. We know mm -hmm. the Chinese have, have experimented with that, for example. 
could it be done intentionally, say, off of a submarine or some other um, type of craft, in order to get the U.S. to basically, we call it painting a target. So we, we point our sensors at a target so that the adversary can collect data on our radar systems and our tracking systems so that they can signature them back and then get a better understanding of how they work so that they can outsmart our technology by stealing information. Um, it's a hypothesis. I don't think we can necessarily rule that out. Even that, though, is kind of stretching it, too, because it seems like there's still be some evidence that there's some kind of you know a submarine down there or some kind of craft or something creating a hologram, right? And to this point, there is really no evidence of that. But again, a hypothesis. Going back to your book cover, and you mentioned this earlier, is these, uh, these towers, these uh, cell towers. Now, I remember uh, many years ago, I was going to say a few years ago, but I think it's been a little bit longer than that. Uh, many years ago, I remember hearing quite a bit about these uh, array of antennas in, in certain parts of the world. And I believe that it went by the acronym of HARP. And a lot of people thought that these things were being used to manipulate the weather for military purposes. I mean, what greater weapon uh, could there be than being able to uh, modify the weather of the enemy? However, I feel like that kind of has evolved into these kind of like conspiracy theories about the 5G towers and such. What is your take on this whole weather manipulation thing? And how do you tackle this in your novel? Well, so I've done a lot of research on this topic and in my previous novel called Behind the Machine, and it's about this topic, it's about weather modification in artificial intelligence. So weather modification, again, it gets in that whole fringe conspiracy world. Yeah, absolutely. But guess what? It's real because the U.S. military did it in Vietnam. It's called Operation Popeye, and they basically do cloud seeding. They can seed clouds with particulates to basically make it cloudy, make it rain. Um, there's at least one company that I, you can just Google search this and you, that they've, they're trying to commercialize this technology. We're hearing a lot more about this recently from, say, Bill Gates and others about uh, how do we address climate change by using technology with nanoparticles in the atmosphere, etc. So weather modification is real. It's been done. Um, you can certainly take it to that next level. And like, where does it go if we, if we start actually doing that? Would we actually create more of a disaster if we do so? Um, probably so, but my interest has been when you mentioned HARP, and for your listeners, you know, HARP is a an array of antennas that's up, and I think it's in Alaska. And there's been some kind of talk about it being, you know, shut down, but then turned back on. And it has to do with the atmosphere for experiments, they say. And one of the things that I researched quite a bit for the Goldilocks Zone is this issue of electromagnetic um, interference and the impact of that on the human brain. And I get into that part of the, what my character goes through is questioning that and wondering about all that. And there is definitely some real science around this and how uh, radio waves or electromagnetic radiation does impact um, the human brain, our, our cognition and our health. Um, and if you don't think that's true and you think that's conspiracy, well, why do you think, cell phone manufacturers have star ratings on their phones, like how much radiation they put out and why that they, it's regulated. They researched in the last few years about being too close to Wi-Fi transmitters and how that impacts the human brain and, and your behavior. We know that there's weapons that militaries have used 
that involve, for example, infrared or um, other kinds of transmission that um, can impact persons like dispersed crowds and so forth. This has been in the news very recently, in fact. So we know that it exists. We know that it can be used for multiple purposes. Can it be used to really control people's minds? I, I can hypothesize about that. And I certainly do that in the novel and have a, had a lot of fun doing that. I don't know for sure. But when we start thinking more advanced in the future with some of these technologies that are evolving, like nanotechnologies and things involving uh, implants and stuff like that, there is a, a possibility. So I'd put it in the category of science fiction and future possibilities. But like anything, technology can develop very rapidly and it can develop behind the scenes without it becoming really public. And so I think it's a, a valid subject of, of study and inquiry. And um, again, it's part of the, the plot in the Goldilocks zone. It's really such a, such a complex topic because on the one hand, is technology can be great. It allows us to do so many things. But there is this very real fear. And I know a few years ago, everybody was scared that we would end up like in the plot of the Terminator, right? Where the uh, machines would just destroy humanity. As far as the topic of AI and humanity and, and technology just starting to kind of merge together, should we really be concerned? I most definitely think there's, there's a reason to be concerned. My primary area of research is ethics and AI and in, in technology and ethics. And I've been fascinated by this topic for, for many years. And my concerns are how the technology can be used against people, you know. And there's this idea of what's called dual use. So the technology can be developed for a good reason, but it can also be used for a malicious one, say, as a weapon. So drones are a great example. They're, they're fun to kind of fly around in your backyard or to observe wildlife or whatever, but they're also weapons, right? And very recently in the news, Drones are being used to kill people in battle. And I don't mean just like, um, you know, in the last you know, decade or two, certainly in, in the war zones like in Afghanistan, et cetera. But I mean smaller drones, like ones that you would maybe buy in a store, you know, and fly yourself or it can be weaponized and be used to carry out military operations. I've always said, you know, the question is like, who's controlling the technology? Is it going to be for the good of, of humanity or is it going to be used by a select few uh, to their own advantage? Uh, used to control the population, uh, those kinds of things. And both of these novels, the Behind the Machine and the Goldilocks Zone, they're, they're about that. They're about how technology and manipulation is kind of interplaying. Um, very important topic. Absolutely. And I think another important thing that I would like to cover with you, and, and our correspondents, you pose two very important questions. How can we make sense of all of this information that we're getting now through the internet, television, radio, podcast, you name it. And how can people avoid being fooled? Yeah, that's how my, my novel starts. To go like, uh, I start with a quote by Richard Feynman. It's, and, you know, the first thing you need to do is, is don't be fooled. You're the easiest, easiest person to fool as yourself as a scientist, right? So I'm someone who's incredibly skeptical of any of this. You know, I, I'm a scientist. I'm a data scientist, a psychologist. And so I want to have data and I want to be able to look at things objectively and I want to um, be able to apply, you know, Occam's razor, right? All things being equal, the simplest explanation is often the best. And it's pretty much true. Uh, certainly there's going to be exceptions as well. And no matter how objective you think you are, 
you are still susceptible to being fooled. doesn't matter who you are. One of the things I explore in the book is this idea that some people are more susceptible to be fooled than others. We know that if you think about um, hypnosis, there's some studies on that saying that it's something around like, you know, 20% of the people are, are very susceptible. 20% or less are not really susceptible to hypnosis and everyone else is somewhere in between. Um, and certainly there's many other factors, psychological factors and um, other variables that would explain why some people are more easily fooled than others. But I think it's something that we have to be asking ourselves, especially in this information age that we're in, where we're, we're just blasted with so much information. And I think we know that a lot of it is misinformation. I think if you just kind of look at how the information, we're told one story one day and then it's another story later. And um, you've got to pay attention to that. Unless, unless we have really short memories, memory span, um, which is not healthy. We need to, to be able to track, you know, really what is reality. Otherwise, we're going to be in some serious trouble. There are tools for us to do that uh, and to be more objective. One of my personal favorite books is by Carl Sagan, and it's Science of the Candle uh, in the Dark. It's a really wonderful book. It's one of my favorite books. Highly recommend that novel or book. It's not a novel. It's a book. He tells all these kinds of stories about how science has um, provided an answer to things that we do not understand. You know, another example here, too, is it's our mobile phones. We're getting information blasted into our brains nonstop on social media. Um, if you have, say, like an iPhone or any other phone, they have this, the news feed that pops up on the phone. Well, who's controlling what you're seeing that day in that news? You're seeing the news that someone else wants you to see, and they're censoring other information. You're not seeing it. And I think it's the, the power of this is incredible. And the public really needs to be thinking about this and aware of this. And we need to learn how to adapt using this technology. We need to learn how to, frankly, probably turn it off and um, try to look at things more objectively and read other sources of information where we can. But in a very fast-paced world that's driven by quick information and just very challenging to do that. It's almost like uh, before we um, we lacked information, and now we just have like this uh, overload of it. I know that the saying of knowledge is power, but it, it seems like knowledge can also be used as a weapon. Yeah, absolutely. As I said, it's just amped up tenfold with technology and, and mobile phones and social media. Frankly, what my book is really about is just that. It's about how the mind controls really the social media, and it is the technology used to control minds. One of the things that really caught my attention about your novel is that you cover quite a lot. It's not just like a, a UFO book. Right. It's true. I do. I cover a lot of this night and I, I want to do justice to those out there who know these stories, who know a lot about UFOs or things. You know what I mean? Like I, there's a lot of nods to the field and there's a little bit of, poking fun at some of it too, mm -hmm. certainly in the Goldilocks zone. David, before I let you go, um, I know that you also do a bit of music. Uh, what's the, your drive, your motivation for that? I think for me, the music is just a way to explore other ideas and concepts in, in a more abstract way. Um, and really, I'm just driven by passion. I, I love to learn and understand the world that we're in. And I'm also someone who wants to make a difference in the world. I want our world to be a better place. Um, I don't like seeing all of the violence and disdain against each other 
we as humans, if we're going to survive, we got to get along here. We got to find a way that we can, frankly, all become adults and stop acting like children and um, move forward in a way that's constructive and, and not be ma- manipulated in such a way that's really harmful to people. And we need to respect each other. I think that's also some themes in these books. They, they really do have an arc to them and that the characters are going through, but they're really towards that. They're towards um, an idea of a society that um, is really moving towards the truth. And sometimes it takes some strong protagonists uh, to, to tell that story and because they are truth seekers, as are the protagonists in both of my, my novels, Behind the Machine and The Goldilocks Zone, they are truth seekers. David, you really have a lot of knowledge in all of these different topics, and I really enjoyed hearing your take on these events that have been happening lately. Where can people find the Goldilocks Zone and Behind the Machines? Where can they get a copy? Yeah, you can find them anywhere that fine books are sold. Um, you can certainly get them online. Uh, Amazon, of course, carries them. You can get it electronically or in hard copies. Um, I would certainly appreciate uh, if you if you get yourself a copy, write me a review, write to me. I'd love to hear from you, see what you think about it. And uh, I'm already thinking about the third novel that I want to do. And um, I may be doing a second uh, to the Billy Lockstone because I think it could go further, the story. Um, or I might do something completely different. But I'm hoping to have another book out here in, in less than two years. David, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about all of these uh, things that are just, they can sound out there, but it's real life. <laughs> That's right. Thank you, Frank. It's been great uh, speaking with you. Thank you so much. That was Professor David Luxton, author of the novel, The Goldilocks Zone. Make sure you grab a copy. It sounds fascinating. I mean, honestly, come on, like we cover so much stuff and he clearly knows what he's talking about. Um, He has the background and the credentials to be speaking on this stuff. So make sure you grab a copy of that and also check out his other novel, Behind the Machine. I think that these books are definitely relevant to today and it's really refreshing to see the information packaged in this way like a movie you know if you have characters and you have a a plot and beginning middle and end i think the information can be more digestible so definitely definitely go check that out i want to thank everyone for tuning in and listening in if you're catching this on youtube Leave us a comment. Let me know what you think. Well, again, we cover a lot of ground and I'm always interested to hear what people have to say about it. Don't forget to uh, subscribe, hit the subscribe button and uh, you'll be uh, staying up to date there with all the interviews that we got coming up. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter and Instagram. That's at WOTR Radio. Check out the website, WOTRRadio.com. As I mentioned a moment ago, subscribe. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash W-O-T-R radio. Go like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash West of the Rockies. And of course, don't forget to check out the website, WOTRradio.com. That being said, take care, be safe. God bless. Don't do anything too crazy. We want to see you back next week. Until then, bye-bye. West of the Rockies with Frank the Engineer on the Independent FM, Los Angeles.